Now, as we, as we read this uh, portion of chapter 2, we're, we're transitioning, not because there's a, a chapter number there. Um, those numbers, the verse numbers and uh, the chapter numbers, those aren't inspired. Uh, those were put in there for our, our convenience in order to be able to study, um, but uh, often they are in good places, sometimes not so good, uh, and so we are actually transitioning here. And it may not be obvious at first what the transition is. So as I read it, I want you to ask yourself, why does he say this is a transition? It's not just because it starts with a therefore, but it has to do with uh, who he's speaking to in this next section. So let's give our uh, attention here as we continue to worship, and now as we listen to uh, words that are preserved for us from God, and then we will pray that He will apply these by His Holy Spirit to our hearts. So, uh, as we read in uh, Romans 2, 1, therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself? that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Father, as we bow before you, Who wants to talk about judgment? And yet you have spoken. And you have spoken for the benefits of the the believers in Rome and those who were not yet believing. And for those down through the centuries, including us today, This is the appointed passage that you saw fit in your wisdom to bring before us. And so, Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to grasp what what you have to, to say to us 
And Lord, will you cause your spirit to move our hearts, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We go back to chapter 1 that we spent a fair amount of time in as we patiently chipped our way through that chapter. And in that chapter, what we saw was how, how Paul was talking about the Gentile world that had rejected God's way. They, they had rejected the knowledge that, that God had given to them. They didn't have full knowledge, not like some others with more privilege. But to their condemnation, they rejected that which they knew. And so we, we read in that chapter that, that then, in a show of his wrath, he let them go their own way. To do the things they actually wanted to do And while some might say, well, that, that's perfect, that's great, that's all I want is the freedom to do what I want to do. No, you don't. You really don't. And that's where we see this downward spiral that mankind took and takes when they turn their back on that which God uh, teaches them and presents to them. Do you remember, I, I can't remember if it was this year or, or last year, uh, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? Do you remember that? Where, uh, you know, they wanted to raise awareness and raise funds for uh, that disease. And so a part of that was that uh, people would, in order to raise funds, and then they donate. I don't know how it all worked. But anyway, they they would get an ice bucket poured over their head uh, and with, with ice-cold water, and then people enjoyed the, the reaction of that. Well, this passage is the ice bucket over the heads of the Jews, okay? Get that picture here, all right? The Jewish people who were feeling rather content, and yet they were about to have a shock that they were not prepared for. And so we have, if you can, this is the way I picture it. It's like, um, you know, somebody kind of sitting, sitting there listening to a sermon, maybe, maybe here, maybe somewhere else, and just kind of sitting there and going, yep, yep, mm-hmm, oh, amen, preach it, brother, you know, and, and, and looking around, and then, then all of a sudden they go, wait, what? Uh, are you talking to me? So the implication is, preach it, brother, at them, you know, at, at all these other people. They really need to hear this. And then suddenly, something causes them to realize, wait a minute, 
He's, he's talking to me. And that's what's going on here with the Jewish people. And that's, what, that's the transition, is that he, he's, he's focusing upon them. And, and I just want to caution you today. Don't be that one sitting back. Lest you fall in the same the same problem, lest you get the ice bucket right over your head, don't fall into that trap. Because he's speaking to us as well. So let's take a, a, a look at this. Verse 1, and if you have your outline, uh, I say they're hypocritical. Religion leads to self-condemnation. And it's like, well, of course, those hypocrites, yeah, they're going to be condemned, those, those hypocrites over there. Therefore, you have no excuse, O oh man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. So Paul, by addressing it in this order, the Gentiles first and then uh, the Jews, or we could say the non-religious and then uh, the religious, Paul is emphasizing to the Jews, look, you may not be engaging outwardly in the things that I've been talking about in, in this first chapter. You may not be doing that, but... But listen, don't get smug here. Because every time you pass judgment on those people, you were nodding your head and you were saying, preach it to them, brother, and all that. Every time you do that, you are calling down condemnation on yourselves. Now, how does that work? Why would that be the case? Well, for the Gentile or the non-religious, chapter 1 confronts these outward actions. For the Jew, and I'm calling them the religious person, chapter 1 confronts the idols of their hearts. And then implying these Jews thinking, well, we aren't like them, so we're okay. They're doing all those outward things that of course God would condemn, but we don't do those. And the implication is they're lost, but they deserve it, but we're not. John Stott says, we work ourselves up into a state of self-righteous indignation over the disgraceful behavior of other people, while the very same behavior seems not nearly so serious when it is ours, rather than theirs. See, what, what religious people uh, tend to forget is God's emphasis, not just on the outward, but on the inward. And that's where we all get caught. If we're doing okay on the outward, and we're not all doing okay on the outward, but if you, if you feel like you're doing okay on the outward, 
that, that simply is not sufficient when we're talking about the God who searches our hearts and He knows every thought, every part of your will that, uh, that is displayed in there. It's no surprise that what Paul's saying here fits with uh, Jesus' teaching. Remember uh, on the Sermon on the Mount where he ratchets it up for those who would put themselves in, in that category uh, in, in terms of sin. He, he said this, You've heard that it was uh, said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And you know, there, the religious people are saying, Yes, yes, we have heard that said. And, oh, thank you, Lord, that I am not a murderer. I've never murdered anyone. You know, that's the, the trap that they begin to fall in. And then Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And then he goes on. If that's not enough. You've heard that it's said you shall not commit adultery. Yes, Lord, well, at least... I've never committed adultery. And then he says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if anyone is feeling righteous there in front of Jesus or in front of of Paul or here, it's got to be like, oh, really? Really? It's that serious inside of me? I've never done it out, out there. I've never carried it out. Surely I'm in better shape than those who have. And that can lead us to a sense of smug satisfaction. And then Paul goes on to basically say that God's judgment is always right. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. How often do we feel like human judges have made the wrong decision? Right, you know, and look at the news this week. You've got at least a couple of things where one, one judge is accused of being biased, another is accused of... of uh, giving too light of a sentence for something that everybody in the country seems to know uh, if he was guilty that that it, it just didn't fit the crime. Now look, I think most human judges, I say most human judges try to do their best. But they've got a problem. They're human judges. And, and, and that's the problem. You know, they are biased. They can't help it. They're, they're human. And not only that, they're not omniscient. They don't know all things. So they can hear two things that completely contradict each other, and they've got to make a decision which one's right. 
I wouldn't want to be in that position. And so, but that's the contrast with God. God's judgment rightly falls because it's based on truth. It's always based on perfect truth. And you know what? I take comfort in that. In this life, you know, how many times do we say that's not fair? This is, you know, they're, they're getting away with that. Well, this, this doctrine that his judgment is always right gives me comfort because nobody is getting away with anything ultimately. Because God's judgment rightly falls. And whether it falls in our timing, rightly, or ultimately, it is always right. There is no escape for those who think their religion has protected them. He goes on in verse 3, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, you might say, how did you figure out this is talking about the Jews? Well, you know, that's where I rely on those who know way more than me and who have studied this. But virtually all the commentators, that, at least that I'm reading, are in agreement that this is aimed at the Jews of the day. And the reason Paul is saying this, remember, he's, he's a Jew. The reason Paul is saying this is that there was a common view in that day, especially among the Pharisees who were the most religious of the Jews, the, the, supposedly the most scrupulous in terms of keeping the law of God. But there was a feeling among them that God would overlook certain behavior because, after all, we're his people. We've always been special to him. We're, we're privileged. He made a covenant with us, <clears throat> which shows, by the way, an absolute misunderstanding of the covenant. The covenant was his faithfulness, and he was always and always will be faithful. But the people showed unfaithfulness again and again. And they wrongly uh, took the covenant to mean that he would overlook their behavior. Now, be careful here, every, all of us. Because if we're not careful, here's what we might think when we hear that. What? The Jews thought he'd overlook their behavior. Wow, were they dumb. Why would they think that? You know what that is when we say that? We're putting ourselves back in verse 1. We're judging them like they were judging others. And we've got to be careful. Because I'm, I'm sorry to say this is ever the case, but, but down through my ministry, I, I've met people who were somehow thought they were in, in, in good shape with God not because of their relationship with Christ, but primarily because, well, I'm a member of this or that church. Or I was baptized. Or I'm a Sunday school teacher. Or I'm an officer. 
And for some, it's, or I'm a pastor. And when one does that, I, I know when I, was, when I was young, before I came to Christ, I, I thought I was okay before God because, because my parents were Christians. As opposed to it, it having to be, be me and my relationship with Him. I, I, I'm okay. I'm in a Christian family that goes to church. And so, if we ever even inch toward that, we're in danger of putting ourselves back into uh, verse 1, passing judgment on the Pharisees. You condemn yourself. And Paul moves ahead. Doesn't get easier. Presuming on God's grace. How arrogant that is. Look what he says in verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So Paul is say, saying that kind of assumption, thinking God will overlook things rather than dealing with them, is actually the sin of presumption. Instead of uh, thinking he'll overlook things, his kindness and forbearance should lead us to take our sin more seriously instead of less seriously. Don't, don't pass it off and say, oh, God's grace will cover that. Instead, His kindness should drive us to a deeper repentance, a deeper dealing with, with our sin, with our judgmental hearts, with our hypocrisies that any of us are susceptible to. And some use grace to almost imply, well, you know, God doesn't care. I'm, I'm, under, I'm under grace. I'm okay. And Paul is saying, be careful here. Yes, His grace is sufficient. What Jesus did on the cross is sufficient, but never presume. Don't presume on it, or you might just be that religious person that he's talking about here. Let, let me explain by going back to Jesus' teaching again. Uh, you, many of you will remember the parable of the prodigal son. We, Adam talked about uh, that last week, and he talked specifically, appropriately so, about the younger son. And, uh, and, and the applications of the younger son and, and him going off and, and living this wild and uh, crazy sinful life. And that is in that parable. And that fits with chapter 1. But there's another son. The elder brother. And the elder brother didn't run off and do all of that. He, he stayed under, under his father's house. He did everything the father asked of him, he thought. And he judged his younger brother, and he judged his father. That elder brother is chapter 2. 
That's what we're seeing here. The point of the parable, of course, there are, there, there are many points, the big point being God's love. His love for that son that went out. And we don't ever want to miss that. But in order to get to that point of God's love, we've got to recognize that the parable is saying both of them are lost. Not just the younger son, but but the older son too. There's lost in different ways. Romans 1 lost and Romans 2 lost. That's how they were lost. And so, that kindness of the Father, it must lead us to a deeper repentance. That sense of self-righteousness or self-sufficiency of the elder son becomes an idol of the heart itself. And then Paul goes on with what I'm calling the application. There, there are applications all the way through, but for the purpose of this uh, uh, flow of this outline, verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I hope you can see the irony here. Um, he speaks Paul speaks to the Gentiles of the wrath they experience that God gives them up to go their own way and on this downward spiral of sin. And now he speaks to the religious, but in a way what he's doing is he's threatening even worse than what was promised in chapter 1. This is what we need to know. Judgment and wrath. And we're, we'll be talking more about judgment next week. I know that that makes you, you can't wait until next week. I know, I get it. Don't, don't forget, we, we never end there. That's the beauty of talking about judgment is that, that it just drives us to the beauty of the gospel and his grace. But we'll talk more about it next week. But, but we, need to, we need to know this that his judgment and his wrath that is poured out is proportionate to sin committed and to the knowledge that we possess. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, hell is hell. If you go to hell, what, what, what difference does it make? Remember what he just said? God's judgment is always, it, it, it comes out rightly. It's always right. Back in chapter 1, we talked about how uh, the Gentiles or the non-religious <clears throat> who never hear the name of Jesus, remember we dealt through all that, and I'm not going to go over that again, but you can go back and listen to that message if you want to know how we dealt with that question. But, but the those people that never hear the name of Jesus aren't going to be condemned because they reject Jesus when they've never heard of him. But they will be, their condemnation will be if they reject the knowledge of God that they have been given. Now, we come to the religious people. 
that don't just have this general revelation of of nature that shows them there is a God, but they have special revelation. They have the Word of God. They have the law of God. And what's going to happen if that's rejected? And by the way, you all have it too. So this is the category where we find ourselves because we have heard the Word of God. These religious people who had the law, who had seen God work again and again and had the opportunity over and over again to turn to Him and were still rejecting Him, this Scripture says they're building up judgment for themselves. Now, how how do we figure that? Well, back to God's judgment being right. And back to no one gets away with anything. Uh, so it's not true that if I've sinned once, I might as well just keep on doing it because it won't, won't be any worse. Let's, let me give you a human, in human terms an example. Let's say someone is a murderer. And he is convicted of four murders. And uh, he gets four life sentences without parole. No possibility of parole. He's not paying any more in this life than, than a person who has murdered one person and gets a life sentence without parole. They, they're both serving the same amount of time until the end of their life with God that's not the case every sin will be accounted for and paid for to the degree that it deserves now I realize you're not Jews and most of you are not outwardly like the Gentiles in terms of your, your actions uh, in, uh, you know, you're not living out chapter one of Romans. How can you tell if, if you're the one he's talking about? How, how do we know if this is applying to me? Let me give you several possible ways of telling. And I gave you a hint earlier on. During my sermons, even this one, do you tend to think, oh boy, I, I hope so-and-so is here. They really need this message. Well, if, if that's the case, then this is you. Are you disgusted with other people's sin and therefore disgusted with them? We should be disgusted with our own sin. And when we, when we see or observe other people's sin, our hearts should say, oh, that one really needs the Lord. 
not about being disgusted with other people or their sin. Are you satisfied with your walk of faith? If you are, you probably shouldn't be. We should be ever conscious of our utter need for Christ and not take advantage of His grace. R.C. Sproul tells the, the story of when he first began teaching. First semester, uh, he was in college teaching 250 uh, freshman students. And he started out the semester like a, a good professor would do, and he, he laid out their assignments, including three term papers, uh, one due the last day of September, the last day of October was the second one, the third one was uh, the last day of November. And he clearly stated, there will be no extensions, you have to turn it in then, or uh, you will fail. The only, the only uh, opportunity is if there's a, a, a medical reason, I'm trying to be reasonable there. 250 college students. At the end of September, 225 students turned in their papers, and 25 came to, to uh, Sproul begging him, saying, oh, you know what, we didn't, we didn't under, we underestimated, overestimated, you know, uh, our, our workload and all of this, and we just weren't able to get in, and please, will you give us an extension? This won't happen again. And he decided to show mercy on them, on those 25 students. The end of October rolls around. 200 students of the 250 turned in their paper on time. The other 50 came and they begged and they cajoled him until he, he said, okay, but don't let this happen again. This is the last opportunity. Next time you'll get an F. The end of November comes. It's the end of November, obviously, I'm here. The end of November comes, and only 100 students turn in their papers. The rest told Sproul, we will get it in soon. And he told them, no, you'll receive an F. Well, they went crazy. They said, that's not fair. And he said, you want justice? You will also receive Fs on the other two you didn't turn in on time because that's what was said up front. So as this young professor, looking back on it, he said, quickly, these students had taken his mercy for granted. They assumed it. And when justice finally fell upon them, they were unprepared for it. 
it came as a shock and they were outraged by it. If we're not careful, that's the plight of the religious. Taking for granted God's grace. And then the day of judgment will be upon us. But that's not where it ends. Paul, wisely under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave us the gospel first before he began to talk about all of these things. But he continues to answer the question, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? And the reason is for the younger brothers in Romans 1, And for the elder brothers, those of us that are in that category in Romans 2, that's why he had to go to the cross. It's not about us trusting ourselves or feeling self-sufficient, taking his grace for granted, but instead it it is knowing the Jesus who went to the cross and finished his work on the cross so that we don't need to finish His work. And if you try to do that, it will be offensive to the one who finished it. It's trusting in Jesus alone for eternal life. May God help us. May God open our hearts. May God help us to see, am I the younger or the older brother but see our need for Christ. Let's bow together. Lord, your grace is so free that I'm afraid we are in danger of taking it for granted. But will you help us to ponder that, Lord? Ponder the the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross that enables us to come to you. Whether we're the younger or the older brother, to come to you as you run out to us and embrace us in all of our filth, in all of our need for you. Thank you for that. Will you today, Lord, for any who are near to the kingdom, will you draw them to yourself? We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.